Okay. So March 23rd, 1998, started like any other day for me. I was a student at Tyndale Seminary. I didn't have classes on a Monday. Mondays was a Monday. But I had a plan for my day. I had some schoolwork to do in the morning, a couple errands to run. And then by the afternoon, I was going to head to my girlfriend's house in Brampton to finish a paper that I was working on. Um, so I was, you know, went about my day, about 10, 30, 11. I think I went out to check the mail at the front door. And as I opened the mail, I saw an envelope there that, that froze me in my tracks. I knew my life was going to change that day. What it was was my tax return. <laughs> but it was special this year, okay? As you can see, March 23rd, that's pretty early for me. I mean, when you're getting your receipts in February. Anyhow, um, what had happened was about a month prior to that, I had put a down payment on an engagement ring up at Spence Diamonds on Shepherd near Bayview. And uh, when I got this check, I knew that I was going to be engaged that day. I just decided in my head, right? Um, so anyhow, I went about running my errands. I finished the work I had to do at home, bounced around. I made some adjustments. I now had to go to the bank, and then I had to drive from Etobicoke, where we lived, all the way to North York before I got to Brampton, right? On my way, in my head anyways, I felt like I was skipping like a schoolgirl. I was so elated. Everything in me was overjoyed because I knew what was going to happen. I was just looking forward to this big event that night. All right. I think the people would have looked at me. What's this guy so happy about? Everybody I dealt with on the way. But I was excited, and I really didn't care what they thought. So I got to my uh, got to Carol's house. Carol, that's the one I got married to. <laughs> um, I got to her house at about three o'clock. She had already gone to work. Uh, she worked at Chrysler on the assembly line in Brampton. She had a part-time job there while she was uh, uh, in school as well, and so she had already left and. I got in there, started working on my paper, uh, decision-making in the book of Acts. It was a, I don't remember much about it, quite honestly. I zipped through that thing. I got a B plus. My, Roy Matheson was my professor, and he was very generous with that mark, because didn't, I didn't really think about it too much, I can tell you that right now. Anyhow, about halfway through, about halfway through, I went down, and I talked to my father-in-law. I let him know what my plans were, what I was thinking. My mother-in-law, she wanted to see the ring, and I showed it to her. And even her comments about how small the diamond was, that didn't bother me at all. <laughs> I was so excited, I didn't care. So, uh, I went back upstairs, finished my <laughs> writing my paper. Uh, about 10.30, I was done, and I just waited for Carol to come home at 11 o'clock. Well, she came walking in the door, and she had tears in her eyes, and she was holding her hands like this, because she was working with power tools. She used to get sore hands and joint issues. And this was particularly bad that day. So she comes walking, and I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> of all days, she's got this issue. Anyway, she sat down to have a snack of boiled plantain. I don't know about you guys, but that smell just grosses me right up. But that day, it didn't gross me out at all. I had a plan, right? For a fleeting second, I thought maybe it wasn't the best day to do it, but I pushed on because I knew I was going to get engaged that night. <laughs> um, anyhow, she was started crying, and she was still crying, telling me what happened. And... Uh, I started laughing at one point. She goes, why are you laughing at me? And I, and I, you know, I knew why. Because I knew as soon as I put the ring on her finger that those tears would run away from her face, right? And so at one point, I just took the ring and I slipped it under and it took her hand and I slipped the ring on her finger. And then she pulled it out. What are you doing? And then she saw it. And then I asked the question. Uh, now she had to ask. She had to say yes then, right? <laughs> and... Um, she was overjoyed, and she did stop crying, right? So we've been on cloud nine ever since, as you can tell. Maybe anybody who's married knows that's not true. <laughs> um, anyhow, but 
my point of telling you that story is that when I got that letter, that news that day was, the, was my check from the government. That changed my whole outlook and perspective. I was elated. I was excited. And it was a full-body experience, right? I was just overjoyed with this, this thing, right? And it was the focus of what I was doing. Everything else, small things that would have irritated me did not irritate me that day, right? And we all have those experiences. We all have those excitement, you know, those things. Maybe it's seeing a friend after a long time. It can be trivial things. We get really excited about our sports teams, right? We get really disappointed about our sports teams, and we get very excited about them too. But today as we look at Psalm 103, um, this is an expression of that all-encompassing joy, right? This is a psalm of praise. David wrote it, right? People don't know the time that he wrote it. Usually they think he wrote it as an older person because of the context and what it speaks about. But we do see in David's life that he had this passion and joy for God, right? He was a man after God's own heart. And uh, if you remember in 2 Samuel 6, David coming into Jerusalem as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, right? And he's dancing with all his might, right? That's the example that we're looking at. He danced with everything that was in him, and he was overjoyed. He didn't care. He was down to his underwear dancing in the streets of Jerusalem. And you remember what his wife thought, Mikkel, right? She's like, she had contempt for him. She was embarrassed by him, right? She said, oh, sarcastically, you know, uh, the king has distinguished himself today, right? And... Uh, what happened was she didn't understand the relationship he had with God. She obviously did not have that one, that relationship with him. She didn't understand the joy. And that's the same with us, right? The joy that we have from knowing Christ and, and that, uh, all of his benefits won't be understood necessarily by the world. But I want you to know this today. In any circumstance in life, we have good reasons to praise God. But So what I want to do, sorry, folks. I drink a lot of water. My, my mouth gets very dry. Um, into those reasons, I want to take a look at the nature of a praise. And look, what does this praise look like? So verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. See, that's, this praise is an expression of joy that comes from the soul, right? The soul is the desires, the life that's within you. So when he says all that is within you, it's pretty much saying, it's repeating soul. He's defining what a soul is, it's all that's within you. So this is an all-encompassing call to worship, right? Remember the great, when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was, that's the second, yeah, okay, the first one. <laughs> that's the greatest commandment, right? And the truth is, though, we don't always feel like it. The reality is, in our daily life, we don't feel like that. Like, uh, you know, we're, we have loss, we have pain, um, Sadness in our lives, stress, busyness, these things get in the way of our desire to praise God. What I want to say, this praise isn't superficial. It's not something we can throw on and come in here and, hey, I got a big smile and a loud voice and a big hearty laugh. That's not what God's looking for. That's not, um, that doesn't honor him because it's a phone, it's fake. He, he wants something genuine. On the other hand, I think sometimes we could wallow in our self-pity. That's not good either. Right? He wants us to, because that doesn't recognize the hope that we have in Christ. Right? So we want to be, um, we want to have an honest and deep confidence. And that's what we do have. This praise goes deeper than, than the outside. It can, it can be an expression of joy, and it can have all those things, but it, that's not, not what it really is. It's something that's deeper. It's a confidence, a quiet confidence that we have, and it comes inside our hearts from trusting God. You see this in the early church. 
you know, uh, you know, they were persecuted, you know, uh, imprisoned. They were beaten. They had their uh, property taken away from them, right? And this is, they rejoiced in their suffering. That doesn't mean that they liked the pain, but they've had, they had a bigger picture. They could see the broader picture and understood what was going on there, right? So, and the final thing I want to say about the nature of praise is that you can see here in the language that David is encouraging himself to pray, to praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It's a, he's, it's a directive to himself, right? Um, we choose to worship God, right? And, how, and you know, I was reading an article about this from Desiring God, and they said, we communicate, we have the biggest influence on ourselves, right? We talk to ourselves more than anybody else does, right? Our inner voice, right? And so we need to make a, a point of worshiping God and reminding ourselves of these things, right? Um, but it goes beyond paying lip service to it. Right, and we have real reasons for doing this. This isn't some psychological trick that we try. Okay, self-talk. I'm going to repeat these phrases. It's not some kind of you know mantra that we can we repeat that way. These are real things or ba- reasons for praising God that are based in reality. So Matt Redmond sings ten thousand reasons. I don't have time to give you ten thousand today, but I want to give you three reasons that you can praise God. Okay. And there's, these are three broader categories for why we can do that. So here it is. The first one. We praise God because of who he is. That's it. We want to go beyond what God does for us and look at who he is to us, what he means to us. I was thinking about this. You can imagine uh, you know, dinner between a spouse, husband and wife. And they're sitting there and, hey, hon, thanks for taking the dog for a walk. No, hon, thank you for cooking that pot roast. No, hey, thank you for taking out the garbage. You know, if the relationship stayed there, we would think there was something wrong. It's not, it's lacking intimacy. It's just thanking each other for what we do. It doesn't get to the heart of, you know, appreciating somebody for who they are and what they mean to you, right? And I think it's the same thing with us. If all we ever do is thank God or request things from Him or thank Him for the things He's done, it shows a lack of intimacy, right? We want to get beyond the, the thank yous. Which we, I'm not saying we don't thank God. Don't take me, don't take me wrong there. But we need to um, uh, focus on recognizing his character as well. So the first thing I want to look at is in verse 1. Uh, it says, he, and it's just that he's holy. Praise his holy name. Okay? What does holiness mean? It means to be sinless, to be pure, perfect, absolutely perfect, incorruptible. Right? God is unique in this. There's no one else like him. So so a holy name refers to his character. So we're talking about his holy name. We're talking about all the things. Everything about him is holy. All that he does is holy. Isaiah 8.13 says, The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. His holiness produces a fear in us because he's so much greater than we are, so much more pure than we are. R.C. Sproul says that our fear of God motivates us to lift up his name with reverence and awe. His holiness demands our praise. So the first one, we praise God because he's holy. Look at verse 6. We praise God because he is righteous and just. Okay, It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. So this is telling us what God does, but it's within that we can see what, who he is. He is righteous and just. Right? And that comes from his holiness as well. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Okay? He is fair. His judgment cannot be corrupted. He doesn't change. right? And he cares about justice for all. 
He is good. God is good. So we have holiness, we have righteousness and justice, and then we have everlasting. He is everlasting and he is in control. Verses 15 to 17. It compares human existence to God's existence. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And in its place, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And then in verse 19 it says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. See, we're mortal and finite. God is not. He's the Alpha, the Omega. It doesn't change. His promises are the same forever, right? From everlasting to everlasting. He exists outside of our time and space, doesn't he? He's not, he's not ruled by these, these constraints that we have. And he isn't going anywhere. That provides us with an amazing security. We can trust in him, right? So that's worthy of our praise as well, right? And he loves those who fear him. Right? That doesn't change either. So we, and he's also a, a God who's in control, right? There is nowhere you can go that you're not under God's authority. He is the almighty God, okay? So he's holy, righteous, just, everlasting, and the ruler of all. There are more things we can say, many more things we could say. Those are some things we find in this passage, right? But one of the great benefits of remembering and focusing on who God is is that it puts our lives into perspective. It's almost like being at the top of Leviathan Roller Coaster, Canada's Wonderland. You really know how small you are when you're there, right? Or swimming in the middle of an ocean, you know? You get that perspective. Whenever we come to God with praise and prayer and we acknowledge who he is, we have a deep sense of who we are and how much we depend on him and need him, right? So knowing who God is, recognizing him for just who he is, and praising him for that, that's the first thing. That's the first reason we have to praise God. The second reason, we praise him because we can relate to him. This might seem obvious, right? But it's not. I don't think so. I think it's an amazing truth. It's very profound. It's praiseworthy, right? God chooses to relate to us. It's an act of grace. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need us, and he doesn't need to relate to us at all. Um, I want to look at verses 7 and 8. He read, reveals himself to us, and we know him. Verse 7 and 8. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You remember, he talks about Moses here. If you remember Moses, he had an intimate relationship with God. right? Remember how God showed himself to him in Mount Sinai? to turn his back so Moses wouldn't die, right? I don't know, Moses knew who he was. He knew his character, right? This also refers to the revelation of the law through Moses, the Ten Commandments, right? By God revealing himself that way, he, he, it's an explanation, and it's, it gives us an understanding of what righteousness is, what God, who God is, and what he expects from us, right? And God's continued to reveal himself through the scriptures, right? His inspired word. And as we read it, the Holy Spirit illuminates it to us so that we can understand more and more who, about who he is. He's continually to reveal himself to us by his Holy Spirit. But he also reveals himself to us in nature. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what God has been made, so that people are without excuse. Romans 2.15 tells us that the law was written on our hearts, is written on our hearts. A really great book uh, 
that touches on these things is uh, called Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson. He looks at folk tales from around the world from very different cultures all over the place and uh, how these, the gospel is present in their folk tales and how they're just waiting to hear the gospel message and how that and understand that and to receive Christ. It's a good book if you get a chance. Eternity in Their Hearts. But God has revealed himself to us. That's the first point. Okay, In this relationship, we can relate to him. God initiates and he reveals himself to us. But he also knows who we are and he sympathizes with our weakness. Look at verses 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. This reminds me of uh, Psalm 139, right? But it's also, um, like in Psalm 139, he knows us. He's familiar with all our ways. He knitted us in, his, in our mother's wombs. We can also see that compassion uh, from Jesus as well. And he sees the crowds in Matthew 9. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's Christ. He had compassion for, the, for people. And Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus has, uh, is the great high priest who can sympathize in our struggles and our weaknesses because he was tempted just like we are. Right? There's a beautiful statement in verse 16 of, of chapter 4 in Hebrews. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, re- we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, it's be- we can have that confidence to approach Christ's throne and to approach him because of the relationship that we have with him. Right? This is an amazing reason to praise God. In my life, I have a wonderful father. Uh, not everybody does, I understand that, but I have a wonderful dad. He's my hero. I don't think I'm going to, I hope I don't do this every time. <laughs> um, I to cry here. But I had a great relationship with him growing up. And the relationship started with him. He initiated it with me. He gave me time. My dad was a busy guy all my life growing up. He was busy. But he gave me time. He played with us. He talked to us. He taught us, right? He scolded us. <laughs> Um, but I knew who he was. I knew what things he liked. I knew what sports he liked. I knew what music he liked, what movies he liked, the games he liked. I knew he was a storyteller. My dad loved to tell stories, right? And he was consistently there for me. He loved me, right? But he also understood me. He knew who I was. He studied me. He knew what my insecurities were, right? He was reasonable and disciplined. He didn't push me, uh, you know, when he knew something might uh, trigger me or upset me, you know? And he was a part of my life. Right. As a result of that, because he initiated that relationship with me, I loved him. I wanted to be like him. I worshipped him in a way. Right. I wanted, I emulated him. And that is what it's like with our heavenly Father. You may not have that earthly Father, but you do have a heavenly Father who's like that, who is, who has initiated a relationship, who cares for you, who shows himself to you, and all of us can take part in that. Right. If you feel like God is far away today, um. Because sometimes we go through those moments, don't we? Psalm 20, 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Okay, waiting on God. Sometimes we have times of dryness. We don't know why. But these truths, all the things I'm going through today, they're all true no matter what. Okay? So I'd encourage you to stay with it. Continue to pray and to praise God no matter what. So I've highlighted two reasons. The first one, we praise God for who he is. We praise God because we can have a relationship with him. The third reason is we praise God for all that he does for us. 
Okay, can I have the video ready here? I want to show you a quick clip. It's uh, from Monty Python. It's called, What Have the Romans Ever Done for Us? I don't know if anybody's a Monty Python fan here. I'm not going to endorse them from up here. <laughs> um, but this clip, I think, is, can be really... As I was reading the passage, it, I kept thinking about this little sketch. Um, and I'll just give you a little sense of it. These are zealots in Jerusalem around the time of Christ. And the one zealot leader, John Cleese, is trying to rally up, to fire up the guys. Okay? So you can take a look. Hey, let us what a bastard. They take everything we had. And not just from us, from our fathers, and from our fathers' fathers. And from our fathers' fathers' fathers. Yeah. And from our fathers' 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 fathers. Stan, don't labor the point. And what have they ever given us in return? The aqueduct. Yeah, aqueduct. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did give us that. Uh, that's true, yeah. And the sanitation. Oh, yeah, the sanitation, Reg. Remember what the city used to be like? Yeah, all right, I'll grant you the aqueduct and sanitation are two things the Romans had done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. the roads. I mean, the roads go without sand, don't they? But apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct and the roads... Irrigation. Medicine. Yeah. Education. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the wine. Yeah, yeah, that's something we'd really miss, Reg, if the Romans left. <laughs> Public baths. And it's safe to walk in the streets at night now, Reg. Yeah, they certainly know how to keep order. Let's face it, the only ones who could in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace? Oh, peace! Shut up! Okay. The reason I want to show that video is because I think we're often like that, right? We have to ask the question, right? They ask, what has the Romans ever done for us? When they ask that question, they started to remember all the things the Romans have ever done for them. When we ask that question of God, uh, what, have the Rome, what has God done for us? The things come back to us. Sometimes we're like them. We're so, we're so caught in our own circumstances and frustrated with other things that we can't do that, right? We don't do that. We get overwhelmed by our circumstances. And uh, we can't forget what God's done for us. We need to remember those things, count our blessings, okay? Um, sometimes I think we've become so familiar with these things, they roll off the tongue, but they've lost their meaning to us. We need to spend time meditating on them so that we do appreciate, uh, appreciate them. In verses uh, 3 down to 6, I want to spend the last few minutes looking at this. Uh, David lists a number of these benefits to, for us. Okay, the first one is the forgiveness of sins. He forgives all your sins, not just some, not part, all your sin. That's what it says in verse three. In verse ten, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's a definition of grace, right? Verse twelve: As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And all of those things speak to his forgiveness. Of course, this is the greatest benefit of all, right? Um, Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our sin, but by grace we were saved through faith, right? I think we need to take an honest look at ourselves. To appreciate his forgiveness, we have to continually recognize our, our sinfulness. Um, just to understand what has been taken from us, what is the load that's been taken off of our shoulders, right? It also tells us in verse 3 that he heals our diseases, um, this is a tough one, right? We don't, we don't always get healed. I think Richard spoke on this just a little while ago. 
But um, he does heal some, and he will heal in the end, right? Um, Christ healed people throughout his ministry, but there was a spiritual healing that was more important to Christ, right? So we look forward to that and, the, and to the kingdom coming to fruition. Verse 4, he redeems us. He says, he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Not only does he save you, the pit is death, destruction. That's what it refers to, right? Not only has he saved you from death and destruction, but he's also given you, turned your heart towards love, right? He's, he started this transformation process in your heart, right? Um, he turns your life around. He gives you a new attitude, a new lens, a new hope, right? Ephesians 2 speaks about the seal that we received when we were saved, right? The promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in us is what transforms us and transforms on a daily basis, right? So he doesn't just save us from death, but he also gives us new hope for this life right now and a new perspective, right? And he changes us day by day. Verse 5, he provides for us. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Jesus preached on the Sermon of the Mount saying, Don't be anxious for anything, Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Not only will God provide the things that you need, but he's also going to give you peace. Okay? You do not need to be anxious anymore. Right? That's a second benefit to that. That's a pretty amazing thing. Worthy of praise. And finally, verse 6, it says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. We already looked at this verse. This comes to fruition in Jesus in Luke four eighteen to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is what Jesus is saying. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Christ cares for the downtrodden. He cares for us in our struggle, right? We don't always understand the timing of how things work out in our lives. It's not, you know, as we want it to happen all the time. But he is working, and we can trust that he is, right? And there is justice and freedom. We know that it is coming, right? Sometimes it's not right here. It's in the future, right? And we've got to keep that hope alive in our hearts, right? So these benefits are worthy of praising God, aren't they? All these things plus many more. There are 10,000 reasons. We could go on, right? Amen? Okay, so the three reasons that I've talked about today for praising God are we praise Him first for who He is, we praise Him because we have a relationship with Him, and we praise Him for all of His benefits, right? The question I ask myself is, what's not on that list, right? There are a million things in this life that will give us short-term joy. We all know what they are. We all, you know, we've all partaken, and some things are good, some things aren't, Right? But if you want something that's going to last, even in the worst circumstances, remember these three things, okay? We don't always feel like praising God. We're not up for it all the time. But in the midst of the daily grind, these are the things we need to hold on to desperately, okay? And when we, as we meditate on these things, we internalize them, right? And we'll know them from our heart, and they'll overflow. And we'll be able to praise God with all that's within us, Right? And I think this is just an amazing testimony to the world around us. They'll be wondering, what is, who are these, what's wrong with these people? What's so different about them? I think they already do. But if we continue to do it, they'll do it all the more. Okay? So just remember this, that in any circumstances of your life, as a believer in Christ, you have very good reasons to praise God. All right? Let's praise.
Thank you, Lord, uh, that you're with us, Lord. You're an almighty God, all-powerful, all-knowing. God, and that even from there, Lord, you care about your creation. You care about us. We're sinful. We don't deserve it. But you care for us, Lord. You sent Christ to die for us, Lord. You care to reconcile with us, Lord. Help us to keep these things in our heart, Lord, day to day, in every circumstance, Lord, so that we will overflow with joy and praise for you. Amen.